friends. It is Turk Henderson and Josh Bow coming to you for another episode of Mavs Moneyball After Dark. We are coming to you following the Mavericks' sixth victory of the season. They defeated the Charlotte Hornets on the road, 104-93, avenging an earlier season walloping at the hands of the Hornets. And the Mavericks really, really kind of led this one from start to finish. Josh, what'd you think? I feel great because the Mavericks got a coast-to-coast road win when five of their key rotation guys are out with COVID-related reasons, and it is only 8.20 local Texas time. Mm. <laughs> like I, I feel on top of the world. The Mavericks win when they really needed a win, when the team is, uh, when the roster is a little depleted, and it's not even 9 o'clock yet. All That's is right in the world. It's really something, the early games. Um, we should lead. We have a, a lot of different things we lead with. But I think we should start with the 21 minutes that Chris Stapps Porzingis played in his return following a meniscus uh, tear and subsequent surgery. And I really thought, you know, he had 16 points on 6 of 16 shooting, 4 of 9 from 3. He had a couple of blocks. He had a couple of rebounds. I really thought for a game... I really thought it looked great just to be, to be perfectly honest, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, really nothing. I don't really know what to add. Like there's like nitpicking feels pointless. Cause he like the dude, you know, had knee surgery and I, I couldn't tell. <laughs> I just looked like a game, you know? Yeah. He was moving great. Uh, I think it, man, how much did it help that this game pretty much from the first quarter on felt like a preseason game with the way the Mavericks were cruising through it. I think that really helped. I think it also helped that outside of Bismack Biombo, the Hornets didn't play anyone really taller than six seven. So mm. it's not like he I mean, this is what you brought up last time, Kirk. Uh I think before we potted before the Pelicans game got postponed. Like <laughs> this is why I think you're the point you made about playing him his first game back tonight, as opposed to starting him against Zion and Steven Adams. It was just a wildly different type of flow. Like he really was I mean, man, he was just chilling on offense. He was basically just kind of spotting up and doing whatever. And then on defense, he just had to, you know, guard the rim when the Hornets guards were driving. He didn't really have to bang down low or, or do anything too strenuous, like kind of a perfect way to get him back into in the game shape there. Well, it, it was really something because I, I finished a uh, Ringer podcast uh, with the group chat one with Rob Mahoney, Charks, and then they brought on James Herbert of uh, CBS sports. And he really just loves watching this Hornets team. And I can see why, because when they beat the crap out of the Mavericks a couple weeks ago, like when they're firing on all cylinders, they're kind of hard to play against, but they came out sort of lifeless and yeah. seemed really confused with Dallas's size. Uh, Willie and, and Porzingis just being huge um, was really sort of something. And, and it was, it was, you know, nice to watch. I mean, there's, you know, I want to get to, to Luca's defense in a second, but I think, you know, Watching Willie Cauley-Stein play hard for, I mean, 30 minutes, that has to be his season high. Um, and part of that's due to, due to necessity. But, you know. Only fouled our, once. Our role for him in the ideal world was always, if he just comes out and busts his butt, he's going to make an impact because he's talented. He has just never done that through this year. I know people, it's it's probably, like, Kings fans were all over it. Well, Warriors fans were, too. He just doesn't bring the energy consistently. I will say, the Mavericks, you know, he's been a big part of the Mavs' four-game win streak. He had 14 rebounds. Uh, it, you know, it, a lot of them really, you know, I'm 
just kind of controlling the glass type rebounds. He had two makes. He didn't for you know he he tries to force cute passes now and then because he does have good vision. But I was really just like watching him and Porzingis, very different look than Porzingis and Powell. Um, and I think that's largely because Powell is just so useless on defense. Um, at least inside of, of like you know, 15 feet and in. Um, I hear what you're saying on on his 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 uh, perimeter stuff, but I, I and that sort of threw the Pel uh, not the Pelicans the Hornets off for the entire you know they didn't know what to do. I mean they're down 32 to 16. Like the Mavericks just like came out and torched them, and they just never really came back. Yeah, uh, 12 blocks for the Mavericks, five Ooh. between Kali Stein and Przingis, and that was kind you know the Mavericks had a good defensive start to the season overall uh some of that could be you know I mean well all most of it is small sample size because when you combine the Clippers win and the Heat win you know those were two like catastrophically bad performances on offense by those teams but even then you know things looked a little better because Josh Richardson being on ball allowed them to prevent a lot of those saloon door drives they had like you know with the lawn right that they didn't get out of him right uh, but even despite that i think you you've pointed out that their defense at the rim has been atrocious and the reason why it hasn't killed them as much as it could have is because they've just done a better job at keeping guys away from the rim because uh and i think tonight what you saw is what can happen when you have your rim protectors both of them in the game, your two best rim protectors in the game at the same time playing together like, imagine what this game could have been like if Josh Richardson and Dorian Finney-Smith were playing. Uh, they might have – They this might have been like a Clippers score. Like, uh, yeah. um, the Mavericks, they haven't been able to do it because of COVID and the roster's been in and out. But you kind of can see it. The first half without Przingis, you saw the improved perimeter defense, and now Przingis is back, and it's like, oh, wow, that's what it looks like to guard the rim and, and block shots. Uh, it was pretty pretty impressive. It's funny that you say that. I, I had – you know, once I kind of once you get to the process of knowing the guys are going to be out, I didn't think once during that game about any of the players the Mavericks were missing, and that that's really a testament to how the rest of the team played because you obviously want four rotation guys or you know if how many is it five like it's five like, it's five five rotation guys unless in, you don't you know, count pal. <laughs> I don't, but yeah, I I but, but it's a good point. I mean, it's five bodies and I didn't really even think about them until, until, you know, we, we started looking at the box score stuff now. I mean, what's the one do started and I, that was a pretty bad game from him, to be honest. Yep. Uh, he's, he's the only guy uh, other than the rookies who finished with a, a negative plus minus. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is that's that's kind of hard to do. Uh, he he plays with like a fretnik energy, but he he makes some kind of you know Harrison Barnesian level like decisions driving the basketball, and I just I you know that's the sort of thing that's that that it's great as a back end bench guy, but really sort of rough in the starters. But you yeah, know, this Green, was that was just a reward. His starting was a reward for what he did in the Orlando game. And and Green, who we'll get to shortly, you know, had the same deal the other night. I mean, it's just it's it's a different ball game when you're playing with against starting level players. And then there's Luca, who played, you know, 35 minutes, 34 <laughs> points, 13 rebounds, nine assists, two steals, and four blocks, and probably played the best defensive game from start to finish that I've ever seen him play. Now, not just because he got you know uh, six stocks like the steal and block you know statistic, but he he recovered on defense so many times when he gets beaten he doesn't you know hustle 
and watching him, you know, getting get, he 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 would go over screens and then chase down because you know the defender would basically uh, the the defender at the rim would force whoever he, Luca was guarding to take kind of a you know ten foot pull up, and that's what Gordon Hayward did repeatedly. Luca blocked him twice from the side. I mean, those sorts of things. Like he doesn't he hasn't done that really. And watching him body hold his strength and kind of at least make the effort is making a huge difference in the way that their defense goes because yeah, it, it just hasn't happened up until now, or at least not with any level of like game-wide consistency. Yeah, and this might sound weird to say, but was this his best game as a, as a pro basketball player in the NBA? I mean, I know he's had some better, like obviously he's had some, you know, bigger scoring nights, scoring 40-plus. He had the Clippers playoff game with the game winner. But man, in terms of like complete game, this yeah. has got to be it, right? Yeah, like I think I think complete is probably yeah. the best term for it because you know the situation and stuff you know differs. Like it's it's in terms of like start to finish, what you want out of Luca and and what you could get in a given night. This is really just a, he he showed us everything, and that yeah. that's probably what I most enjoyed. The Mavericks uh, assist hunting for him really makes me laugh sometimes, and they did that towards the end. Uh, I, I, you know, my, my other thought is like, Hey guys, just hit the shots that he gives you. Um, because the Mavericks were still a hilarious 15 to 46 from distance. And he was just serving up some dimes in that he game. That, like the look away game for him when it's working, when, you know, like when he's gotten to the rim a few times, guys just freak out. So it's like some of the passes he were making is really incredible. Um, I want to say though, like, uh, just to follow more up on his defense, uh, I think, I think after the first game of the season in Phoenix where he looked bad and it wasn't just like teammates not helping him out. Like he looked bad to, you know, the first game or, you know, first three games or whatever you want to call it to start the season. You know, he looked bad. He did not look ready to start the season. And I remember writing after that Phoenix game that, you know, when your star player is not ready to start the season and he doesn't look engaged and he's not playing defense and he's complaining to the refs and, and hurting your transition to like all that stuff that filters, that, that filters down to the rest of the guys. Like there's no, like, even if those other guys are good defensive players or they, they've got their own roles, like it doesn't matter when your best player isn't ready to start the season or if he isn't at top condition or in the, in, in the bet, his game isn't, isn't right. Then that's going to affect the rest of the team. It doesn't matter. Uh, who you are if LeBron doesn't look good the Lakers you know if LeBron doesn't look engaged or or ready to play a game the Lakers and even with Anthony Davis are going to look probably really sluggish and crappy like that's just how the NBA works and and how these star players work and I feel like that was never more that point is never more evident tonight because like you said probably the best defensive game of his life and I swear like the like every other guy like you saw Willie Cauley-Stein's hustle you saw you know, even a one who didn't have a great game, but he's still flying all over the place. You saw Tim Hardaway Jr. mix it up. You know, Chris Stops had two blocks. James Johnson had three blocks and two steals. Like, guys got after it from the opening whistle. I mean, 32 to 16 first quarter, they absolutely smothered Charlotte uh, in the in the first quarter. And I know some of that is Charlotte just didn't have it. But, I, you know, he Lucas set the tone in a way that I haven't seen him do. Like, he took this game – by the horns and I know I'm getting really cliche and and it's kind of stupid, but like he really like his imprint on this game was everywhere. And for the first time, it wasn't just scoring points and getting teammates buckets. It was defense. It was hustling. 
uh, Kirk, he has his best defensive game and probably his best hustle game and like his best positioning and, and rotation game. He only shot two free throws and he got hosed. Yeah. Yeah. And I, Kirk, I don't, I know he complained a little bit, but man, I don't remember him lagging 20 feet beyond the play because he's getting the ear in an official. Like he, he was, he was on another level in terms of his engagement tonight on both sides of the ball. And I absolutely think that was contagious. Uh, Ooh, probably not the right thing to say during a pandemic, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Like that. I feel like his effort and the way he set the tone from the first quarter, like that was all all the all it needed for the rest of the guys to follow follow suit and give that same type of effort. Yeah, there's there. It's it's leadership matters, and I think that that's something that it, he's going to have to figure out how to bring consistent consistently. But really. We, we've joked about it as as we've talked in the podcast and Slack a little bit about Luca's defense before because it, it, we're sitting there saying, oh, is, is he playing better defense? It's It's been really something. It's been fun to watch. Uh, and this was just the whole package put together. Um, I think, you know, we, we don't need to make this one go forever, but I do think we should talk a little bit about uh, rookie Josh Green who played 18 minutes. He has a really kind of all over the place stat line, five points. Five rebounds, one assist, two turnovers. Um, he had three offensive rebounds, kind of looking uh, what I think we had talked about before in terms of playing sort of like a Dorian Finney-Smith role where he brings the energy. Um, the first half was not great for him. He just jumps on every single pump fake. He, I, I understand why people are excited about his defense, but he's he's still – he needs the, to – I just think he needs to play more so that he can settle, which is what happened. Cause in yes. the second half, it really kind of came together for him in some interesting ways. I'm curious about his vertical athleticism because I, uh, he had two alley-oop chances and laid them in and did not jump very high. Doesn't matter. That's all two points. Just the same, really fun to watch him run the floor. And then he threw an incredible, like as they're trying to break the uh, the Hornets' uh, uh, full court press late in the game, he got on a streaking pass uh, down the court and then threw just a beautiful lob to Willie Cauley Stein. I, I like that aspect of, of his game. I didn't know he had that. That's two times we've seen him throw oops, and uh, you know Willie should have crushed the other one the other night. But it was, it was fun to just you know watch him play a little bit. He seemed to pick up energy as he was, you know, it's like very much a cumulative effect to his game. Yeah, and I mean, I think it goes to say, like, he's still a very raw player. And when you play, Kirk, you know, we've played basketball, and I was not a starter, uh, and I was not, you know, terribly great in high school. But you know that feeling of when you get your time on the floor and you're looking over your shoulder at the coach after every (laughs) play because you're scared, you know, not, I don't know if it's scared is the right word, but you're just you fear messing up because you know you only get so many chances on the floor and if you make one bad play you're you're off the floor and i feel like that was what was going on with green so far this season and especially in that game he started because he made that alley oop pass to Willie Cauley Stein and it wasn't even his fault it was a beautiful pass and Willie missed it and he's he's basically done for the rest of the game yeah. uh the, he's the type of guy you got to let him play through his mistakes and that happened tonight uh by process of elimination of you know five guys are five perimeter players basically well not all perimeter players but you know five guys are out of the lineup so he just by default had to play a little bit more 
Uh, and it was just nice to see him play through it. And like you said, he got better as the game goes on, and I don't think that's surprising. And, yeah, it would be cool for him to get more minutes. Um, and I think everyone just needs to chill out, and he will be okay. Uh, I will do no such thing. There will be no chilling out. <laughs> also, um, what about? I have a theory about the alley-oop thing. Uh, he had the two alley-oop layups, like you said. Sure. I'm wondering if he is petrified of making a mistake <laughs> that he's like, okay, nothing flashes, just gonna lay it in so Rick doesn't, you know, I don't miss a dunk and Rick doesn't send me to the phantom zone. That's my uh, that's my theory because we've like seen him that. dunk, like he can dunk. So yeah. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, that's 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 a fun one. Um, it, it's it's just nice. I, I I got a I got a DM from a friend of the show now who just says I have a hot take. The Mavs are actually good, and <laughs> I. I like it is is what I'm going to say. You just reminded me of something talking about high school. I'll share this with the podcast because it's pretty funny. At one point, I mean, I played 5A back in the day when, and so did you, and that was the biggest classification. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, sometimes the games were packed, sometimes they weren't. But at one point, um, I, I still remember this. I did something stupid on defense, and my coach yelled loud enough that the whole gym could hear, you are the dumbest smart kid I have ever coached. <laughs> <laughs> And I still think about that sometimes yeah. when I do something when I do something idiotic. Um, I, I just you know it's, it's a nice game. I do what you said earlier about the early game. Man, we either must be getting old or whatever because I remember loving late games, but like the the seven thirty start too. time or is the seven o'clock start time? My time was awesome. I am <laughs> all all over it because I'm going to be able to finish this and maybe do some writing, maybe go to bed. We'll see. Well, you know, there's there's probably some more things we could talk about with this game. I, I thought, you know, seeing James Johnson and Luca play together was not something I remember seeing yet. That was kind of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. This was a, a very much a game where we saw why. Like, I want to show this game to people who ask why Boban doesn't play more. Boban doesn't play more because he might be the shortest 7-3 person in the world in terms <laughs> of... Uh, yes. He just is nobody. Nobody cares that he's there. He has no defensive timing. Like he, he, has, got, he does awesome stuff on offense. He got haunted by the ghost of DeAndre Jordan uh, at one point in this game where uh, a guy got beat off the dribble and was driving down the lane, and Boban was there, and he had his arms up, and then mm-hmm. as the guy got to the rim, he put his arms down and, like, shifted his, like, torso and just kind of let him score layup, and I was like, whoa, haven't seen that in a couple of years. So, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. So... Well, um, I do think before we get out of here, we should at least touch on the preposterous NBA news of the day. You know, we follow up, it's it's Wednesday, and we follow up a Tuesday where, you know, it kind of felt like the NBA world is on, on, pre- on the precipice where there's all these positive COVID tests, the NBA is revamping the rules, reinforcing protocols, everybody's grumpy. Then James Harden comes out and plays a game where he's like, I just don't think I can be here anymore. We're about all, you know, just basically craps on the entire team, torches everything. And then the Rockets finally decided to move him for a just insanely complex series of draft picks for first rounders, for opportunities of pick swaps. Then there were deal, then there were like side deals with, um, the Cavaliers, and then there was also the, the Rockets, one with the Pacers, where mm-hmm. all sorts of guys moved around. And I remember, like, my just, like, default when trades are happening is, why aren't the Mavericks doing anything? And then today I was just watching all this, and I was just like, oh, okay, where is you 
you know, Reddit's Reddit's <laughs> favorite, Josh Bowe, um, had you were kind of grumpy. So so walk yeah. walk me through it a little bit now that you've had time to process. Okay, I'm not grumpy necessarily about the Mavericks uh involvement in this because it's pretty, you know, they don't have assets. Uh the players that moved around and the picks that were swapped around, like the Mavericks just can't they can't do that. Like they just can't do that. Uh, so I understand that way. I think it was more just, I feel like ever since Giannis announced his uh, signing of the extension, I feel like the 2021 free agency list has just dwindled and dwindled and dwindled since then. And when you consider two of the guys on the move in this trade, Oladipo to the Rockets and Jared Allen, the very, talented center young center out of brooklyn goes to the cavaliers and theoretically allen will be a restricted free agent and you would imagine that the cavaliers giving up a first round pick albeit the bucks first round pick so not a high one but still a first round pick you would imagine with their situation they've got andre jumman on an expiring they've got javale mcgee on a one-year deal you know they're eventually going to move on from Kevin Love. Like he's, you'd imagine they made this trade so that they could make Jared Allen their starting center to go with their young guard duo. Uh, so you kind of scratch him off your potential list if you're a Mavs fan, uh, creating like a shopping list for 2021. And then you know Oladipo goes to the Rockets, and he was going to be an unrestricted free agent, and it was very clear he was not going to be in Indiana. So he felt like one of those, you know, the Mavericks struggle obviously to get these bigger name guys in free agency. And usually because it's really hard to get guys to leave their teams because of all the advantages the other team has. And this was one of the few that we knew like, Hey, he's not, he's definitely not going back to Indiana with all the stories about how much he wanted out of there. So for him to get traded to the Rockets, who I would assume are going to try to do what they can to retain him uh, next year, because he is the biggest piece they got back from the Harden trade. Like I can't imagine, you know, the trade was originally Levert to the Rockets and then uh, Levert from the Rockets to the paint. Like if the, if the Rockets didn't want uh, Victor Oladipo, they would have just kept, they just would have taken Chris Levert, uh, who's a solid young player on a not very, not a super expensive contract. So you got to, I don't know if, if Oladipo wants to stay there, but you got to imagine the Rockets are going to try to bring him back. Um, So like in my mind, that's another name crossed off the list. So, like what should have been like a good move for the Mavericks because the Rockets are going to get better. Like, so the Rockets didn't necessarily get, I, I mean, the Rockets are going to get worse. So the Rockets trade James Harden. I don't think they got all that worse because they were kind of bad with Harden because of that, the stink of his trade demand. They're probably going to be a little better and feisty to finish the year. And you potentially cross off two uh, options for the Mavericks and free agency next year. And that just bummed me out as I see the Mavericks hoarding cap space since 2019, even though I acknowledge like there's nothing they could have done today to do anything about it. It was just, (laughs) I I tweeted it. It's like anytime potential free agents uh, move or, or, or like those chess pieces get taken off the board. It's like the winter soldier activation codes. And I just think about cap hoarding cap space and I just get really mad about it. So I just (laughs) had to get that out of my system. And I think I'm better now. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's all like yeah i I can't even point and laugh at the rockets too much because i seriously think that they're going to be a better team to close out this season now yeah because they they're they're going to be playing with the chip on their shoulder i i I will say one thing that i like about this is that it got it out of the way yes that's true it's it's not just hanging over stuff now 
I mean, the, the next possible piece to move is Bradley Beal. And I know our friends at the Step Back Mavs podcast like desperately want Beal. I mean, who wouldn't want Beal? But I, I, I've been telling Dalton for, for months now, the only way I see that happening is if Beal specifically says, I want to go to the Dallas Mavericks. Now, let's be clear. He should he should do that. He should do that now. <laughs> yes, like, say that right now, Bradley Beal. I'd be a big fan of that. You know, he's Team Jordan, all sorts of connections. He would be unbelievable in this offense. But I, at the moment, I'm having a hard time seeing anything. Now, the nice part about the fact that I'm having a hard time seeing anything is Donnie uh, Nelson's best moves over the past 20 years have always come when nobody saw it happening. You know, the telegraph stuff is never what is going on with the Mavericks in, in, in the way that you think it would be. So it's, you know, that that's the thing that's out there. I, I, I just, I don't, I don't know what Dallas could do, but right now, like what we just said, like the Mavericks are good right now um, mm-hmm. and they still have a lot of room for growth. So there, there's, you know, there's part of me is just like, I don't really want to think about that. If, if they're going to, you know it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. And the Mavericks still have a long way to go to figure some things out. Uh, hopefully this is their one COVID scare of the year. It's good to get it out of the way early. You know, there's, there's just a lot to be bullish about at the moment, but um, I think that's, that's kind of all we got. We should be back Friday. Yeah. Friday. Cause they play the bucks and that'll be a interesting slash scary game because <laughs> Maxi Kleba, Maxi Kleba is basically their, their best Giannis defender which leaves like Josh Green <laughs> and you know oh, anybody yeah. else that will try to like match up with them. So that's probably a lot of James Johnson, maybe. Ooh, good one. I always forget about James Johnson. I don't know why. <laughs> Just like <laughs> he, he kind of floats through some of the games without you noticing him, but he's yeah, I I, I get it. Yeah. Also, oh, he yeah. can't really make a shot to save his life right now. Oh man, it's so, it's nuts. Oh uh, well, well. So this has been Kirk Henderson and Josh Bow with Mavs Moneyball After Dark. If you could please like, subscribe, leave a review, do all of that stuff. It really, really helps us. We have been having fun doing this for, you know, two years now. We've really got a base of support, which is great. But we always want to reach more people who are interested in hearing us or telling us that we suck, which is really a delightful part of being on social media. So this has uh, been Josh and Kirk, and we will come to you in a couple of days on Friday after the Bucks game.